This is Ballot Box. The pointers look at the issues on the ballot in Peel, in Niagara, at Queens Park, and in Ottawa. Now, your host, San Graywall. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on Ballot Box. We're picking up where we left off on an earlier show recently, talking about municipal accountability. We had former Mississauga MP Stella Ambler on recently, talking about her new group, Municipal Watch a watchdog organization that just launched in January, shining a a light on municipal government with all of the scandals, the lack of accountability, really concerning behavior in municipalities across Ontario and Canada. And it's clear Joel Whitnable from The Pointer and Jessica Derling, our Brampton reporter with The Pointer, they're both with us. It's clear when you follow the municipal sector that, that accountability is just, it's simply lacking. When you read some of what is happening inside town hall, city hall, the egregious behavior, the lack of transparency, sometimes flat out corruption, it's obvious to anyone observing all of this that a huge reason is we don't have the proper accountability mechanisms. We don't have the proper watchdog functions that are effective and they're enforcing what few rules are in place. Joel, I know you have a lot of thoughts about this. Yeah, it's very frustrating, you know, and I can't imagine, you know, Jessica, how you've been dealing with these situations and trying to report them out and get the facts. You know, the fact that we have so many just questionable things happening, not just in the city of Brampton, but, you know, obviously what's happening at Queen's Park in Ontario politics these days with the, with the Ford government and the controversies that are, are surrounding him. It just seems that we have so many leaders who disregard the sentiment of the general public and what the people who elected them care about, think about, feel about. You know, and I'll, I'll give you an example. When obviously we talk about municipal accountability, we look at the rehiring of, of Muniza Sheikh as Brampton's integrity commissioner. And obviously there was the, the questions raised when she was hired initially. You know, she had past relationships or connections to Patrick Brown. The previous integrity commissioner before her resigned when Brown was elected because the two of them had a relationship or knew one another in some capacity prior to which that individual guy Giorno said was enough for him to have a conflict. And we had municipal accountability experts at the time say that Muniz Sheikh was most likely in a conflict and should not be taking that position. But yet she, she accepted it anyways. And and aside from the issues that arise just practically from having somebody who has a past connection, who is meant to have a completely objective view of all of what happens and the behavior of every member of council. The thing that really just always just continues to come back to my mind is how or what it says about the elected officials that they're okay with having these sort of situations unfold. The fact that Mayor Patrick Brown is okay with having one of the biggest or most influential accountability mechanisms in the city have all of these questions lingering says so much about Brown and how he rules or how he, you know, makes decisions that he doesn't care about that. You know, where, where, like, where does it end? You know, it just raises all of these, this wealth of questions about, you know, the way that you're making decisions at the municipal level. And I think, you know, the same thing goes for for Premier Doug Ford with all of this controversy that has erupted after, you know, his his daughter, Stag and Doe, related to the developers that attended. And, and you know, obviously that's being connected to the, the carve up of the Greenbelt and all the controversies there. You know, Ford repeatedly has just tried to dismiss all of these perceptions that the developers 
who attended were his personal friends, that this isn't a big issue. Why is the media making a big deal about this? It's the same sort of situation or the same sort of thing that it says about him as a leader that he's okay or he doesn't see that as a problem. I think that that's the point of this sort of tangent that I'm going down is that the, these elected officials don't see these things as issues. If Brown saw the hiring of Integrity Commissioner Musa Sheikh as a problem, he wouldn't have gone ahead with it. But yet he, he doesn't see that as a problem. And for all the reasons that I just outlined, that is a significant issue. And it says a lot about his leadership. And the same thing with Doug Ford. If he doesn't see his connections to the development industry and the fact that they're attending a family function, giving money to his family, if he doesn't see that as a problem, that says so much about him and his sort of respect for the accountability mechanisms that are in place. And I think that that you know, abstract idea, the fact that we seem to have these officials who just don't care about these things, I think that's the part that bothers me the most. Jessica, you did the reporting on the story that The Pointer published a couple of weeks ago on the rehiring of Maniza Sheikh as the integrity commissioner. In the reporting, you talked a little bit about the process that was used when Maniza Sheikh was originally hired in 2019. Can you remind the listeners or go over for the listeners what was problematic about the way that original hiring process unfolded and Patrick Brown's direct involvement in the hiring process to bring in Maniza Sheikh as the integrity commissioner? I would be happy to. For those of you who are familiar with the municipal sector, with these positions, there's usually a tender set out at which point the uh, staff assess the options, go over um, their qualifications and find the best person for the job. In this case, there was Robert Swayze, Principles Integrity, and of course, Muniza. Interestingly, during a council meeting, Brown put forward a motion overturning the uh, previously set out tender. And then out of that, Muniza was hired, which is a very strange sort of uh, way of going about the hiring of an integrity commissioner. And that you brought about more questions when other councillors uh, raised concerns and started an investigation into our original hiring. And that I'm sure would have gave us a lot of answers. But then we have the case of Brown uh, canceling the investigation with all the others, including the investigation into Brampton University, in which contacts of Brown and another counselor received lucrative contracts without the work being uh, fully completed. All these questions could have been answered at that point, but now that the investigation's canceled, we won't know exactly what happened behind the scenes with the original hiring. And Jessica, uh, my understanding is that, so with the original hiring, there had been one recruiting firm or a hiring firm that had already been in place. It was already conducting, you know, a search for a new integrity commissioner. Brown stepped in, canceled that process, brought in his own hiring firm. And that's when Maniza Sheikh was identified and selected as the candidate to be the integrity commissioner. She had no experience, zero in municipal law. She had never been an integrity commissioner before. She never even practiced in that area. She practiced in a completely different type of law. And the two other candidates that you mentioned, Principals Integrity and Robert Swayze, they had 
years and years and years of experience as integrity commissioners for municipalities doing that type of work for other organizations. And in fact, you know, both Swayze and Principal's integrity commissioner had worked for numerous municipalities in that very role, yet they were not selected. Principal's integrity has served the role for about 50 municipalities. That's a, that's a lot of experience in the sector. And the uh, bid, the tender for that job had already been closed by the time Brown overthrew it, which leads me uh, to a lot of questions. Well, who was staff going to recommend? Did staff have already uh, choose a recommendation at that point? How much money was wasted on this uh, tender process that then was proceeded to be completely thrown out in favor of this new one that somehow put Muniz at the forefront of? And, you know, and it was led by Patrick Brown all of a sudden. And, and so people understand the problem with Muniz Sheikh is that there's a, a perception of a potential conflict of interest because her husband at the time when Patrick Brown was the PC leader in Ontario, uh, Muniz's Sheikh's husband at that time, you know, did some work, had a contract to do some, I'm not quite sure, some sort of public relations or I think he was like a stylist. He basically did, you know, work around the image of political leaders and crafting that image, you know, if I'm not mistaken anyway. And, uh, you know, her husband at that time did this work with the PCs when Brown was the leader. So that's a problem. But then after the allegations of sexual assault to women who brought the allegations forward against Brown when he was PC leader led to him, you know, stepping down and basically ending his his provincial political career. Maniza Sheikh at that point, she went out publicly and and made comments regarding his character, sort of, you know, suggesting that, you know, she didn't think not regarding the allegations themselves, but she didn't think there were things about his character that would jeopardize his standing as as a political leader and the and the leader of the PC party, she she talked about very positively about the things he was trying to do, you know, with the party to expand its reach and its appeal. So again, she wasn't speaking directly to the sexual assault allegations, but she came out publicly saying these favorable things about other aspects of his leadership, his character, and again, that was perceived to be behavior by her that should have disqualified her from becoming the integrity commissioner. She's appeared at events alongside him. He used in his campaign material when he was in one of his previous election campaigns, he used a photo of the two of them together at an event. Her defenders and his defenders claim, no, none of that suggests a conflict. She's claimed, no, I'm not going to recuse myself. The CBC and the Globe and Mail both did stories critical of her and her decision to accept the Brampton Integrity Commissioner role, highlighting the potential conflict or the perceived conflict, even interviewing Duff Conacher, director and co-founder of Democracy Watch, who flat out said no. Basically, those ties, those connections, those past comments, those were disqualifying factors that she should not have accepted the role, that there is a potential to have you know a real conflict of interest for her. Just like Guy Giorno, as Joel said, he stepped down as the Brampton Integrity Commissioner previously. Had he not stepped down, they would not have had to hire a new person for the role. And the reason he did it was because he said, okay, once Patrick Brown was elected in 2018, he happened to already be the Integrity Commissioner. And Guy Giorno said, I have a relationship with him. I know him. There could be a perceived conflict. 
I'm going to relinquish the role. You'll have to hire someone else. But she did not do the same thing. She said she refused to say no to the opportunity to become the integrity commissioner. And now fast forward, Jessica, the previous council members, why were they concerned? What information came forward about Maniza Sheikh's billing, the amount she was charging to the Brampton taxpayer that led to council last year raising concerns about her employment? Invoices paid uh, by the city for her services as Brampton's integrity commissioner was compared to five other integrity commissioners hired by the city since 2010. And they found that she was being paid seven times more than the others, which, of course, raised several concerns and questions for council, spurring this investigation forward that would eventually be canceled by the mayor. And because of that investigation, a lot of things would come out, including that uh, after she was let go for the billings, the mayor would email with uh, her lawyer in an active lawsuit against the city for wrongful dismissal, asking uh, the lawyer to use his personal email so their discussions wouldn't be on public record, which is several concerning things that, uh, to me as a reporter, heavily stood out. An earlier draft of the Muniza article actually focused on the fact that uh, the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown, was instructing a lawyer in a lawsuit against the city to use his personal email so it wouldn't be, quote, foyable, as in retrievable with uh, Freedom of Information Act requests. Yeah, that was that was somewhat shocking when we learned that through documents. And that was basically uh, in a staff report that had been re- prepared by, at the time, the head of the legal department and in fact the commissioner of Le- legislative services at the time last year for the city of Brampton and this is after Maniza Sheikh had threatened a lawsuit at that point it was just the threat of a lawsuit but there was a draft version of that lawsuit that was reviewed by Brampton's legal staff they got an outside opinion to assess that that's when that email between Maniza Sheikh's lawyer and Patrick Brown came out the third party assessment by a really, really experienced lawyer in, in you know government affairs and a lot of issues around elections and, and various types of work that he's done in the municipal sector, in the government sector, and even around election compliance. Uh, Jack Siegel is the lawyer's name. He informed staff last year, including legal staff, legal staff working on behalf of counsel. His independent assessment and opinion was that Maniza Sheikh's lawsuit had no standing, that she had no grounds to sue the city and these six council members who had moved to end her contract last year. And another problem with the Maniza Sheikh billing was that even though she's charging on average seven times more than the five other integrity commissioners who had been hired since 2010, when you look at the volume of her work, according to the annual Integrity Commissioner reports that anyone can read on the city's Integrity Commissioner webpage, you know, she she didn't have a similar volume as some of the years when the billing was just a fraction of what, what she was doing. So it would be one thing if she was doing seven times the amount of work, then you could understand why uh, the, her billing was so high. But I'll, I'll give you an example. Like in, in the year, the couple of years before her, 
when it was Guy Giorno, you know, he had one year where he only billed about $20,000 compared to Muniza Sheikh's somewhere in the neighborhood of $350,000 a year. So, so that average was even more like, right. So I was talking about the averaged out comparison being seven times, but if you looked at those particular years when Guy Giorno, it was way more than seven times. So he bills about $20,000. And according to integrity commissioner reports for, for his years, you know, his volumes were much higher than shakes in terms of the amount of work, you know, the number of complaints and the number of investigations, you know, so, so these were all things that were flagged by the legal staff, by counselors, that th- this excessive billing, when they learned about it, you know, they, they took action and now we have her rehired again, but then let's fast forward. Brown cancels the investigation. The city flip flops from that report uh, that I was just referring to where the, the, the third party expert and the internal legal advice from the city's top lawyer was that, look, we, we shouldn't really pay much of a settlement at all. Maniza Sheikh likely has no chance of winning. Her arguments in her lawsuit were weak. They were practically non-existent. But now fast forward and we see this odd apology to Maniza Sheikh issued. Brown gets reelected. Only two of the six counselors that opposed him and called the investigations come back after the October election. Martin Medeiros and Pat Fortini. The others either retired. Charmaine Williams moved on to Queens Park. Gurpreet Dillon lost. Jeff Bowman and Doug Willens, they retired. So now it, it seems like Patrick Brown has firm control over counsel. He's already canceled investigations. He has Manisa Sheikh rehired. And it's clear that his fingerprints are all over it. He can deny that he was behind it. But as your story pointed out, I mean, he literally supported her lawsuit against the city. He basically said, yeah, I would have done the same thing or I support her or whatever his exact words were. It was clear. It was crystal clear that what he was saying was that he was on her side in her legal action against the city he's supposed to lead. So I didn't understand that. But now this apologies issued to her. She's rehired. I filled in a lot of that. But but Jessica, your thoughts about what is going on? And Joel, you can jump in. She's not the only person that's been rehired after all of these serious questions had been raised and information came out in previous years when those six counselors were, were trying their best to bring some accountability to City Hall. There's a lot of interesting hiring practices happening at the city right now. Different staff members are being brought in. Some that have uh, worked in Brampton previously, such as Jason Tamming. There's an article upcoming uh, relating to his hiring um, back at the city, who people might be familiar with through his time in the Niagara region. Yeah, and um, there was even an apology that was issued by the city, and it was published in some Niagara area newspapers. So clearly David Barrick is trying to clean up his reputation after a really controversial period in in Brampton where you know he was fired and he threatened a lawsuit or he threatened legal action after he was fired. I'm not going to get into it, Jessica, between your reporting and other reporting that we've done at The Pointer. There's almost too many questionable pieces of past conduct by by Barrick. There's like too many of these things to mention, you know, everything from trying to basically undermine the internal audit function, trying to tamper with the internal fraud hotline, 
hiring people that were completely unqualified into like seriously important senior jobs that were going to be involved in critical infrastructure. He's hiring these people on on his own, making up the rules as he goes, who aren't even qualified. They weren't even engineers to be put into like director positions for engineering. I mean, the list goes on and on. Handing contracts, one of his former political buddies in Niagara. No one really knows what a lot of that money was actually for. Basically overseeing the handing of contracts to Patrick Brown's friends. We know from a former senior staffer, Nikki Kaur, who shared messages from a personal application and a personal phone, I believe, from David Barrick, where he's doing city business using non-city communication accounts and instructing a former senior staffer who, by the way, was fired after she ran against Patrick Brown in the October election. That's Nikki Kaur. She's fired shortly after the election was over when she ran against Brown. She had previously been the whistleblower who released all this information about her allegations and information about David Barrick. And now, after he was let go by those six counselors who were trying to, you know, do the right thing, they issue this apology to him, you know, which is very strange. Jason Tamming, as you mentioned, who was found to have behaved corruptly by the Ontario Ombudsman when he provided the questions and answers to a former candidate in Niagara region for that region's top job at the time. That was a job hiring for the Niagara region CAO. Tamming literally like behaved corruptly. The ombudsman had the evidence, these emails where Tamming was providing his preferred candidate, the questions and answers for the interview process for the Niagara region CAO hiring process. And this guy, he should never have had a job in Brampton in the first place, but Brown hired him when he was, when Tamming was pushed out of Niagara region and Niagara region actually filed a lawsuit against Tamming. That's going to be detailed in Jessica's story that's coming out this week. So Brown brings him in, you know, back in 2019, after all of this scandal and corruption that Tamming has been involved in in Niagara. Brown brings him in, but again, the six councillors moved to make changes. He was no longer with the city last year. Uh, he departs, but now, lo and behold, not only is he back being the director of strategic communications, who's supposed to communicate and control the flow of information in and out of City Hall, the city won't admit that he's even been rehired. They won't even acknowledge to the pointer. We've sent repeated questions saying, look, can you just tell us who's the head of strategic communications? We've asked Tamming the same thing. Like, can you just admit? Can you just acknowledge that you're back working for the city of Brampton? Like, they won't even they won't even acknowledge that. And Joel, I'll pass it over to you. Again, what does this speak to? I know we're talking about Brampton, but maybe you can touch on some other municipalities in terms of how this isn't just a Brampton problem. Yeah, and it's not. It kind of goes back to what I was saying before. I think it really speaks to this lack of consideration for residents and the electorate. You know, you have citizens who are being impacted more than ever before when it comes to their finances. You know, we have the affordability crisis in Peel. You know, we've had episodes of this podcast just in the last few weeks talking about how the housing crisis is just absolutely pummeling people in the region of Peel. You know, you have inflation that's driving up the cost of everything from gas to food and just basic necessities. And then you have these elected officials who go on the campaign trail and say that they're going to solve all of these problems, that they're going to fix affordable housing, that they're going to make sure that your tax dollars are used 
for your betterment, that they're going to better your city, that make sure you have the infrastructure that you need, that's going to make your life easier. You're going to have the services and everything that you need to live a happy and fulfilling life in your city. People have other things that are really kind of getting in the way. And this is where we see this cycle. When you have these issues that really overshadow people's lives, you're not going to be thinking about what's going on at City Hall if you're worried about putting food on the table. You're just not. And unfortunately, that leads to people being able to take advantage of this low voter turnout and get elected with just a few thousand votes and then get into this position of power and start to abuse that position of power and stay in that position of power because there's accountability mechanisms that are broken and unable to remove them. This is so widespread in Ontario. I I can't speak for the rest of the country, but I've reported in several places in this province and there are similar themes in all of those cities. And again, it comes down to broken systems, but it also comes down to just bad actors getting into positions of power and completely abusing them. All right. I want to thank Joel Whitnable of The Pointer and our Brampton reporter, Jessica Derling, for joining us. We will be back next week for Ballot Box. We hope you join us then. Ballot Box was hosted by Sam Graywall, produced by yours truly. Join us next week for The Pointer's ongoing coverage of the issues on the ballot. I'm Jeff Chalmers. Thank you for listening. See you next time.